uh, I, I want I want in this last section we're going to talk about talking to our kids and, and about all things sexual, and I'm going to show you some stuff that may blow your mind a little bit, but I think it's really important for you to know uh, what's going on with this particular thing. How are things different than when you were growing up and they were growing up? Some things are happening to puberty itself that are pretty interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about the year 1870. Anyone born at 1870 uh, in the room? Okay, just, just a few, <laughs> got a few people going, yeah, it's close. Uh, here's what was going on that day in culture. Women were having their first menstrual period at 16 and a half years of age. That was the average. So some were not having that. Uh, they were up at 18, some at 14, but our average comes out at 16 and a half. Now, that's probably different for most of the ladies in this room going, Ooh, boy, that, that late. So there was a possibility you could have your first period, get married at 18, and have those kids out working the field in no time. When I tell my college students, all, y'all would all be married right now if you're back in the 1870s. They all go, no way. Uh-huh, said my grandparents' generation. They did. That's what was happening. Then, if we fast forward to 1987, look at the age of first menstrual period. It's dropped down to 12 and a half. That's a pretty big jump, right? And then look at the age of marriage. It went up. You know why? Education came into play. Higher education. Got to go to college. Got to go, go, go find those things and get a better job and all that stuff. So parents started shoving their kids and saying, now, when you go to college, you don't get married until you get through, right? My parents did the same thing. My mother did this. She said, if you get married, that was the umbilical cord and the financial resources of our family. Said, it's gone. So you know what I did? I waited until I got finished. And I got married the day after I graduated. (laughs) Showed her. Now, if I was a Christian teacher, Bible class teacher in the 1870s, I was talking about, wait till you're married to have sex. Is that pretty easy to pull off? Year or two? You bet. No problem. Move forward to 1987, we're 12 and a half, and now we're talking at 27. Now we're talking about quite a few years. Over a decade. And when I say to a teenager, how long... Would be 14, 15 years to you. What would they describe that time period as? Forever. Forever. Eternity. There's no way. No way. Gets worse. Current. 11 and a half. Keeps going down. If you're interested in finding out some of the theories why, I'll tell you why afterward, but I'm going to keep moving. But there, there are at least two, two or three major theories that make the most sense. There are some others that, that are, are not, but I think it's probably a combination of many factors. But the bottom line is it's going down, and it's not stopping. It, it's still going lower, believe it or not. And now you look at age of marriage, which has skyrocketed up more later and later and later. Most of my students in my classes who are seniors, I'd say three of them have either marriage already happening or about to happen this summer, three out of 65. So age of marriage is going up, up, up. Puberty is going down, down, down. And we've got this sexual tension for a long time. So it's a little harder sell for us in church work and as parents and grandparents. So I want you to be aware of that. Uh, oh, here, 
You can't read the bottom. Here's the worst news. I put it in real small print so you couldn't read it. <clears throat> Secondary sexual characteristics, as in what we call breast buds and things like that, that start kind of announcing they're going into menstru menstruation, but not yet, are starting now on average at 9, 9.8. This is why that little talk about we're going to have to talk about the kids earlier in children's ministry world, you better start thinking 9 and 10, not 12 and 13 anymore. Be ready for that conversation much earlier than you may be thinking in your head because this is going to demand that you have those conversations earlier, not later. Now, you don't have any control over that, really. You know, there, there's just something going on. There's a phenomenon that's out there, and it's really weird going on. And I keep praying, come on, let's, let's plateau and go back up. But thus far, it's not happening. Thus far, it still keeps kind of creeping down lower and lower. But this is going to cause you some problems as you teach your kids and, and what's going on. What, what this does is cause a problem in dating because the kids look more mature, faster, and physically. They, they may be 14, but they look 18 which means they're going to want to date faster. Got some very interesting research here on kids dating early compared to maybe previous generations. These guys did a, did a survey, and they looked at 2,400 uh, teenagers, and they did this study across time. They started talking to them when they were 12, watched the same kids all the way through to high school graduation. Okay, And they asked the question, when did you have your first date? And some of these 12-year-olds look like they're 17. You know, I don't know if you've been through the junior high lately. Some of these little girls look like they step off 17 magazine. They've got the makeup and all, hair. Everything is just coming together. I kept asking, Lord, where were those girls when I was in junior high? Because I didn't see them. They were all awkward, except with the exception of one girl who was named Candy. And I don't, I don't know what she's doing now, but she was built at 6th and 7th grade. She was awesome. Uh, did cause me a lot of lusting thoughts, I think, <clears throat> through that time. But... The rest of them were pretty awkward looking, but these girls look pretty good. Consequently, they look really good to the older guys. So if they're 12 and they turn them loose on a date, four hours by themselves, just the two of them, no parents, no extra group with them of other teens, here's what happened after they looked at this research. If, they, if their kids started dating at 12, the numbers of those kids who had had sex, sexual intercourse with someone, by graduation, not when they're 12, by graduation is basically 91%, almost 100% chance that they're going to have sex. Next, 13 drops enormously, 56%. Still a coin flip, still not what we want, right? Next one, 14, 53%. Still a coin flip, not much difference. What about 15? Another, another jump down. And then look at 16. And I'm guessing a lot of you dated at 16 is when your parents would turn you loose. That, that type of situation shows, I think, that putting kids in very adult, mature situations too early is a very dangerous game to play. Now, my kids, I don't even see the age yet that I wanted my kids to date because 30 was not in the research study. <laughs> but I was going to send them off to Tibet for you know a couple of decades and then bring them back and let them date. But this told me pretty clearly 
there's a maturity factor that we've got to pay attention to. To turn them loose, to put an older guy or older girl with a much younger boy or girl is really bad news. And it puts a very uneven power dynamic happening. And I've heard so many stories as a youth minister of the incredible football player dating the much younger girl. And she gets a lot of status because he's dating her and he asks her to do the stuff that she doesn't feel comfortable doing, but she does and gives in and then he dumps her way too many times because the power differential was too wide. The ages were too wide. So careful about that. But this is another uh, part that I think is re we really need to pay attention to. The other thing that's going on in this, <clears throat> this little ladder, I'm glad elders turn, avert your eyes with this. We're going to have some words up on the screen that we don't typically have. But it's a ladder of intimacy, how relationships tend to go. If they start at 12 years old, down here at the bottom, holding hands, and everybody's kind of had that magical moment holding hands and all that stuff and planning out how you're going to grab her hand and rub your hand on your jeans so it's not so sweaty and then grab it and all that stuff. We strategize on that for weeks before we do something like that. But if you start at 12 on this, where are you at 14 on this ladder, knowing that you're typically going to go up on these rungs? Where are you going to be at 15? Where are you going to be at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22? 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27, we get married. This ladder, everybody kind of knows it's there. And the students are out there having a pretty good time for the most part. And I'm going to tell you, Christian kids uh, have uh, played on this ladder for quite a while. I'm going to show you some stats right behind this that will kind of back up some of these things. This is from 2000, so it's dated but we ask this same question over and over. And we ask the question about virginity with our Church of Christ kids. These are not the, the Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, all that down. These are our kids. We asked a bunch of them across the nation, are you a virgin or not? I told, told folks, I, I don't like to use the word virgin with kids. I'm using it with you, but I wouldn't with them because it has this permanence of you're either a virgin or you're not. And the kids who are not virgins anymore tend to go, I've blown it, so why bother trying to become chaste again? So I use the word chaste. I use the word uh, holy, being set apart, return to chastity with them. But for the survey itself, we asked them, have you had sex or not? 75% of them were virginal. So I could walk through my Bible class, go one, two, three, are virgins, one's not, one, two, three, are, one's not, one, two, three, are, one's not. That was good news because compared to the overall population, we were doing great compared to the overall population, which was around 60% at the time. When we got to this next little line, 75% of them are involved in some type of petting. That meant touching above the waist, below the waist, and everything up to sexual intercourse. 75%, I go through the same Bible class, one, two, three have done those things, one has not. One, two, three has, one not. When we looked at the research a little closer, we realized the people who had not, had not dated. It was almost 100% of the kids who were dating were playing all over that ladder, except for that last one, that last rung, which I think I know why they made that a big deal. And there are some fears and anxieties and all that I'll show you what they were talking about and thinking about. But 
we've kind of made that the line. And we don't talk about much of this other stuff on the ladder. We don't, that's the advanced version. I'm, I'm sorry, say again. Oh, in the ladder. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I may have to keep rolling. I, I'll, I'll let you have, have access to it, though, right after we get done, if, you, if I may. I'm just trying to work on time here. The, the students are needing further conversation in senior high. Uh, a lot of people are into doing pledge cards in junior high, and those work really well with junior high kids. But when you get to high school, you need to start talking about things that they talked about in theory in junior high. Now they're realities. And we've got to start talking about intimacy and commitment levels and all that are going to help us talk to kids a little bit more. Uh, kids uh, are, are dealing with, I can do everything and be really pure and virginal up and down that ladder, except for the last one where it's intercourse. And that's when I've crossed the line over. But I can do everything else. If we're not talking about some of those things, those kids are going to continue to go, no big deal. That's what the culture has already taught them. Uh, so, and I'm going to move on past this, keep going. Uh, this basically just talks about there are more than two categories for our kids, virginal and non-virginal. There's some kids who have sex and they say, man, that was a bad experience. They, they have a, a horrible experience, not just uh, it, maybe the guy broke off with them, you know, and said, you know, uh, sent pictures around to other boys you know, there's a variety of things that can happen, but they just go, I tried that once, I'm done. I'm going to wait till marriage. There's other ones that do it multiple times who don't care, uh, but don't classify them as just two categories. There's, there's actually a lot of categories. Where ages for the Church of Christ kids, and you can't read that, I'm sure, too small. The biggest category when kids were being talked to in that day and that time was 12 and 13. The next biggest time was 9 to 11. I would tell you because of what's going on physically, that younger line, 9, 10, 11, is the target dates of when you start talking. Uh, that's going to be when the church needs to make sure we've got some programs to talk about that and help parents enter into this conversation. Uh, do role plays. Uh, I, I have it with parents. I'll say, you're going to spend a week with me. And we're going to talk about sexuality and how to tell kids about sex. And we do a variety of things. We'll do some demonstrations in class. I will talk about, here, here's what I told my kids at six years old. Here's what I told them at seven when they asked this. Or here's what happened at 14. We had to sit down and talk about things uh, with guys and girls. And then 16, when they had their first dates, we had another conversation that talked about situations and making sure we kept our reputations pure and our situations pure, where we didn't give Satan any room to play in. And then I actually gave my daughter, as she got married, I gave her a letter. She, she has it still, she told me, where I basically said to her, you know, you've been told a lot about, about sex and, and that you need to save it for marriage. And I'm telling you, I'm proud of you guys for how you've tried to handle this relationship and all. And I know that this is the culmination of it. And I want you to know, I hope you have a fantastic honeymoon and a great sexual relationship and all that. And I basically was just saying, I'm blessing this. This is good. I, I've been you know, chasing guys off with my shotgun for a long time. Now this is a good thing. 
and I want you to enjoy it and have a great time. And I actually put my cell phone number in case they had any questions about sex, <laughs> if they needed some help. And she, of course, I could hear her eyeballs rolling 200 miles away. You know, Dad. But I, that's, it's, a, it's one of those things in church work, sometimes you think, we've, we said no a lot about those situations. We need to make sure they hear the yes. And to flip that switch for some women is a little hard. And so I'd been talking to her, but I put it in paper to say, this is going to be great. This is from God. And I want you to, to really have a wonderful experience in that. And hopefully they did. They have, didn't give me a report on that. <clears throat> but a, a lot of what happens, I think, with churches is we start talking about it right around here, right around 16 years old. We, we go, we're going to need to have a church program. Too late. Not only are they knowledgeable about the subject, but they have made a lot of decisions about that already. So we need to kind of jumpstart that, and that's why children's ministers like Dennis are incredible, because they are going to have to start some of those conversations and give you chances to have moments like this where you can talk and say, hey, how, do you, how do you talk about this? Uh, here's my when I put my college students up for a role play, here, here's what they're really good at. When a mom and dad love each other very much, and then they're out, they're done. I said, no, keep going, keep going. No, no, we, we don't have anything. And I've heard people describe the sexual act as like putting the car in the garage. The garage door opens up and the car drives in. And that's, I said, really? You're going to go with, the, they're going to be scared of garages and going in garages with that illustration. Yeah, they really have. And, and they, they tried to go all sorts of ways. I said, how about that we're talking about and a man and woman, their bodies come together as one, which is very biblical. And dad has a special thing called sperm that has life in it. And it goes up inside mom. And that created you. And are you like, oh, really? Yeah, really. Well, that's not that hard to say unless you feel like you're just totally unprepared to say those things. And they pick up if you're uncomfortable with it, so we've got to find a way to say it more naturally. But say it beautifully. And, and some of you can do it much better than I, I can, but just to be plain and, and pretty simple. And you don't give them everything. They say they want several different talks along the way. I started in the bathroom with, what's that, Dad? And then I graduated to questions like, my wife was pregnant, and my daughter looked at, at my wife's belly and said, so that's my little brother in there? Yep. How'd he get in there? My wife, without missing a beat, said, talk to your father. He's an expert in these things. <laughs> so he explained some more. And across time, she, she had more questions, and we, we met it with everything. And we would stop and then say, do you have other questions about that? Nope, that's all I need. And we were getting ready for the next one that came along. But we've got to find a way to get this, this in play. Uh, who is it educating our kids? These are the church kids still. Uh, one, peer group. That should scare you to death because they have horrible information. Uh, they usually are not very accurate. They will scare you with what they come up with. Uh, you can't get pregnant if you're standing up. You know, stuff like that. That You're just going, no, no. A lot of you told me today that the source you got was someone with no values, no Christian values, and no morals 
involved with the sexual experience. If you want to be on that conversation, you've got to jump in before the peer group. So be, be aware of that. Now, oh, here's what happens when you have a peer group. Someone slightly older than you helping you and watching you. That's not a good idea. These are not my kids, by the way, again. Don't call CPS on me. Here's the second one. Moms, y'all are number two. Congratulations. Moms are usually fantastic at this. They give specific information, they give accurate information, and they give you more than you want to know about sex. <laughs> Men, on the other hand, <laughs> there you are. You're down there somewhere between the electrician, <laughs> plumbers, you know, that just come by the house. Dads are the worst. And I, and I will admit that, that it's not the most comfortable thing, especially talking to your daughter about some of this stuff. But uh, I would tell you, if we don't give them both sides of the equation, they have an incomplete picture. Dads can do some great teaching, especially with your daughters about modesty, how men think. It's hard for the mom to do that because the, the girls sometimes think, well, I've got this great body and mom's kind of losing it. So she's a little jealous of me showing some legs and, and my little body. Okay, okay, I, I understand the dynamic is a little tough. And so I would plant myself outside the dressing room at Dillard's and my daughters would come out on prom, with prom dresses or dresses of any type and I would be there going, good. Hmm, no, that's, that's kind of iffy or... Get back in the room. Try again. And I was doing that. Mom wasn't doing that. And part of that is I'm teaching. That's not going to take guys' minds in a good spot. You know, that, I think that's, that's a little too much skin. That's too low, too high. You know, I'm, t I'm telling them, you know, here's, here's the, the perspective of a, of a man. And I know I'm your dad, but I'm, I am still alive. And I, I, I can figure stuff out. I still think in ways that guys think. So... Uh, we need to train, we need to teach from both sides of the fence. Moms, y'all are doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. Guys, it's time to step up. Step up. Need to do a better job. Now, if I said what instead of who, who's the primary educator of our kids sexually? Internet. Internet is the main thing. They can learn everything they want to know in a click. Some of them are going to learn things that they didn't go looking for, even. It's a sad world. Uh, I clicked into a, a blog to check on a kid who had a brain tumor, and I misspelled the last name of the, of the family. Two naked women show up on my screen at home. And I'm sitting there going, whoa! And I look at the address I typed in, and it's, it's the name I thought typed correctly, but it wasn't. It, I had flipped two letters. And so I go, honey, honey, I call my wife. Good thing to do when you have naked women on your screen. And I said, come here, come here. I said, look at this, look at this. So she sees two women. She said, well, Robert? And I said, no, 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 look at the address. I typed in, and I, it's such and such, such blotted spot. And she said, those two letters are mixed up. You need to flip them. And I flipped them. I'm on the blog. Now, how did they get that to be an address? I do not know. But I wasn't looking for that. Definitely wasn't looking for that. And my wife was, was kind of like, I need to check your history, you know, see what you're, what you're going for. And our kids are going to have that. The question is not when our kids are going to be exposed. It's not the if, it's when. You need to be worried about. Pornography is one of the most insidious things that I'm seeing on our college campus. 
among our young men and our young women, by the way. It's a tsunami. They're making four, about $14 billion off pornography. That means there's a whole lot of people paying money for this. The good news is pornography industry has started losing money for the first time because they're giving so much pornography away for free. Unfortunately, Hollywood and those that produce this have figured out that they only have gone after the male mind. So they've begun to hire female producers of pornography to tap into the female mind that has more wording, more script, more romance than the male version of pornography in order to get a better market share. So they are now going after your daughters. And I know some girls on our campus that have admitted, you know, you talked about guys having pornography problems and then you said the girls are having it too. I'm one of those. I'm addicted to it. Uh, it's very private, very secret, easy to get to, very accessible. If they've got a phone, smartphone, if they've got a computer, they're in anytime they want to get in. It's a huge lie. It's an awful lie that Satan has, has put on, and we have kind of sat back and gone, eh, it's just boys will be boys and all that stuff. It is hurting our boys, and it's hurting our women because of how it's affecting boys, and it's now hurting our women at an increasing rate. So, Internet is a big deal. Uh, that's something to pay attention to and to watch. Uh, I check my kids' histories on their computers when they were at home. I don't anymore. Uh, by the way, I tried to teach them some lessons on accountability with our personal lives and private lives. And so on our computer at home, the one I was telling you I, I used, that was out in open for anybody to use. And I've told my kids, you can come borrow my computer, my laptops, anything I have, my phones. You can go anywhere I've gone because I know I haven't gone to bad places except for that one time with the two naked girls. And I don't have a secret password on my computer that my wife doesn't know and my kids don't know. So there's no secret spots for me to hide this stuff because I know one in six pastors, preachers, are addicted to porn. Pastors. Wow. You think that's not a problem? It's a problem. It's, a, it's like a wave underneath society that I don't think we're, we're catching up on. we got young men on our campus who are married who are coming to me saying, I'm having a hard time being aroused by my own wife. And I say, how long have you been looking at pornography? In junior high till now. And their own wife is not arousing them. And we've got young men, not old men, young men, who are having problems they're having to go to doctors for, that they say, I can't perform at 20, 25, and 30. Well, that always gets my college boys' attention when I'm saying, you may not be able to have the sex you think you're going to have because you've got a porn addiction. Uh, so, word to the wise. Main reason why church kids don't have sex, see if you can see a theme here. Have you, are you picking one up yet? Fear. We're going to scare them to death. Uh, has not worked very well. We didn't give them any choices. They just wrote these in. And that's what they said. I can get those two factors in any health class in America. I don't think, oh, these bad kids. I think this is us. 
we have not taught well. We have not talked about relationship with the Lord as much as we should. Uh, they're thinking of some really, these are really good reasons. These are not biblical reasons necessarily. They're great reasons, but we need to talk about relationship with the Lord, purity, holiness, commitment, all those things that go with it. Eventually, on number three, they said God said no. Now, that's how they said it. God said no. I'd rather they say it a little differently, but that's how they said it. Uh, so once again, God's the bad guy. Don't, 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 don't. Instead of God wants me to have an incredible sex life someday, and he wants me to save it for someone really special. And so we have a, this wonderful relationship. So big, big deal. True Love Weights program, uh, just real quickly, it's a great program for junior high kids. It, it works with junior high kids pretty well. They sign a pledge card. They say, I'm going to be pure till I'm married. That's awesome. But then the senior high kids, it seems, start walking off into sexual activity pretty quickly, eight, 18 months later than a kid who doesn't go through it at their church. But uh, for the most part, there needs to be some additional booster things that we do and talk about uh, with them. Some other factors, if you were to look at what can I do as a parent to help my kid be uh, better uh, and, and remain pure, here's just a few things. thing called strategic orientation. You may go, I don't know what that is. That means they have a goal in their head. For some of your kids, it was, I want to go to college and I want to be A. And if they had a really strong strategic orientation, they were thinking all along the way with every decision, if this thing prevents me from getting to my goal, I'm not going to do it. If I get pregnant halfway through my college career, this is really going to throw a kink in my plans to get to that goal. So we want to be talking about what are the dreams. Uh, one of the things we did with some of the, the students who in the high schools in Abilene, we asked them, after you have this baby, what are your goals? And we were asking the question to get and see if they had a strategic orientation. Some of them went, mm, I don't know. We need to somehow build that into them and talk about what do you think God's going to do with you. Secondly, parents' average education. Uh, once again, higher education parents have, the better shot they have at being a little more uh, uh, virginal in those type areas. Third, risk orientation. That's their risk, not your risk. Some kids take greater risk than others. That's just, they, they, someone says, I bet you can't. They go, oh, yes, I can. They jump off the roof. Uh, some people, very cautious. So more risk oriented they are, more apt they are to, to cross some, some of those lines. The family satisfaction. If your marriage and your family relationship is really good and healthy, uh, they tend to be more virginal in that aspect because they're not running away from a bad situation, obviously. Uh, next one, biologically intact families. Families that are they're always together from day one, you just give your kids a better shot at it. Doesn't mean you can't overcome it through a bad relationship or a divorce that comes through, but just statistically, it helps the kids uh, see that. I was going to show you real quickly. They looked at the virginity rates of parents with marriage intact was right around 76%. If the parents separated, it went down to 54%. Parents divorced, 44%. And then if both parents remarried, it jumps back up almost to where it was before it started. The, the whole deal started. They became more virginal because the family and home felt safe again and comfortable again. What this says to the elders and deacons out there in the youth, youth ministry, anytime a family is going through this and the family is spinning apart, you need to give a lot of attention to those kids. Ask them the questions. How are you doing? What's going on? We want you here. Uh, are, how, how are things going with you? 
what happens in a lot of churches, we rally to the parents who are trying to keep the marriage together and who's taking care of the kids? Nobody. And they say, on average, 10% of the kids uh, who are going through a divorce with their parents have no one, the, the 10% are the only kids who have someone come up and say, how are you doing? Really, with this divorce? 10%. Consequently, some of these things happen. This is a rendition of a student who said uh, this was how it felt going through a divorce. You can see the pain and the anguish, can't you? It's a, it's a tough place for kids to be, and we just need to be extra cautious, especially in that realm when we see that situation happening uh, with them. Okay, that, that's, I've already done that one. I don't know why it's in there twice. Uh, I'm a preventive person, so I'm going to give this. I don't know if you see the drug use uh, signs of this child. Uh, I do it because I'm a professional. I can see that they're, they're obviously going to be pot smokers when they grow up. Uh, no, here, here are just a couple of items I want you to think through. Practical hints with your kids, how to help them. Delay dating as long as possible. 30 is a good age. 30, you know, great. Uh, but bottom line is, watch that maturity factor. Number two, train kids to be accountable in all situations. Where they go, how much they do. I'm amazed parents who will say, hey, what are y'all doing tonight? We're going to go to a movie and a dinner. And that gets them to about 9, 9.30. And then they tell them to be in at midnight. And they don't ask the question, where are you going after that? And they'll just let the kids walk. And I'm going, wait, wait, wait. My, you know, my kids learn, and luckily I had the cell phone age going when, when my kids started dating. And so I could kind of keep track of them. If they didn't call in, I could call them. Uh, if they ignored my text, I gave them a text that if you don't answer me in 15 seconds, this phone will be disabled. And they called me in 15 seconds. Can you imagine that? I love cell phones uh, for that reason. But we tried to train them. Once again, dad's accountable. You're going to be accountable. If I'm moving, if I'm traveling somewhere, I'm calling your mama. You know, and if you're going somewhere, I expect you to call us. If you're going to be at a spot, you better be at that spot. And I've went, every once in a while, I've kind of driven by, hey, we're at Starbucks. And I got there, and they weren't there. And I called them. I said, hey, where are you? Oh, I, I meant to say we were about to be at Starbucks. I said, oh, that's really different. That's really different. I said, I want to know where you are when you call. And she goes, okay, okay. I said, next time? I'll be sending a cop behind you, watching you all night long. I said, he'll be your security guard the rest of the night. And she said, you're not, you're not serious, are you? And I said, oh, yeah, I am. One night, I'm, she's in a movie theater with her boyfriend. She goes, calls me and says, Dad, what? She said, you were kidding about that sending a cop around behind us, right? I said, no. And she said, I said, why do you ask? She said, because David's right behind us, who's a cop friend of mine that she knew from church. And, I, and she said, David is about four rows behind us. You, you, you didn't, like, really send him to watch us. And I said, yes, see ya. And I, I clicked the phone. And she was like, she called me back. Like, you're really kidding, aren't you? I said, yes, I'm kidding. But behave yourself or he'll shoot your boyfriend. <laughs> uh, one, of the, one of the principles is don't isolate from same-sex peers. That is, keep their friendship hub wide. When they go to one relationship and invest everything in that relationship, not only that, but also sexualize it in any shape, form, or fashion. It becomes a hindrance if they decide to break up. They'll run back to some friends they thought were there for them, and it doesn't happen. And so they run back towards someone who may be a bad relationship in general. 
And I've seen some really bad dynamics happen because someone says, okay, you can come back, but we're going to start doing this. And it becomes a power play. So keep them in with relationships. Date people close to the same age, obviously, and you know why from the, the dating uh, information. Uh, I'm not going to go into that. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there because uh, we're out of, t- out of time. We're over time by a little bit. Here's, here's what I want you to remember. Obviously, write questions for tomorrow. I would love to talk to you some more about those. If there's anything that you're going, man, you didn't cover this at all, and I really hoped you would, write that down or send it in. Uh, I'm just going to try to organize the questions tomorrow and answer as many of those as I can so you kind of get more feedback. And I'm sorry we didn't have more, but I was trying to get a lot of stuff out to you uh, today. Uh, I'm going to pray over you and, and just tell you I hope the Lord will bless you with great wisdom and a great insight with your kids and your grandkids. And they are worth every bit of the time you spend here, I hope, today. Not because of me, but because you care about them and love them. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for every kid represented here, for the parents and grandparents who love them dearly. And Father, I know you love them dearly, and you don't want to lose one. And I pray in a very confusing world that these kids live in that we will give them some clarity, some uh, guidance that will help them. And I pray that the folks in this room feel more prepared or equipped to at least answer and think about some of the questions culture is throwing us. I pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom in the coming days to once again figure out how to love. And we may not agree with everything our kids do, but we want to love them and keep them close uh, to us in the church and uh, be people of grace and love and forgiveness, but also to tell them we want to call them to an abundant life that Jesus has called all of us to. We pray all this together in your name. Amen. Thank you all for being here today.